Have you ever heard the story of the potbelly pig? Every time I turn on to 114 out of my neighborhood, on my right, there's a family that has a pet pig. Y'all be looking for it next time you go by there, won't you? I see that thing out in the yard, and I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be cool to have a potbelly pig? Until I read this story. In the 1980s, people shelled out thousands of dollars to own a potbellied pig, an exotic house pet imported from Vietnam. The breeders claimed that these pigs were very smart and that they would only grow to 40 pounds. They, in fact, were very smart, but many of them grew to over 150 pounds. So what do people do with an unwanted pot-bellied pig? There was a fellow that came along whose name was Dale Riffle. He came to the rescue. He had been given a pot-bellied pig named Rufus. Rufus never learned to use his litter box. Rufus developed a craving for carpet and wallpaper and drywall. Dale Riffle, true story, sold his suburban home and moved with Rufus, his pig, to a five-acre farm in West Virginia. He started taking in unwanted pigs, and before long, he had 180 resident pot-bellied pigs. That's what I call living in hog heaven. According to U.S. News and World Report, these pigs in Dale's farm, they snoozed on beds of pine shavings, had their own mud puddles to wallow in, they soaked in plastic swimming pools, and they listened to piped-in classical music. They never had to fear becoming bacon or pork chops there actually became a waiting list to get to Mr. Riffle's farm. One day as he was interviewing with a reporter, he said this, he said, we're all put on earth for some reason, and I guess pigs are my lot in life. I read that story, and as humorous as it is, I thought, how could anyone in their right mind fall in love with pigs? I couldn't wrap my mind around that. But then I realized there's something much more amazing than that. And that is that an infinite, perfectly holy, majestic, awesome God is passionately in love with sinful, rebellious, indifferent people like you and me. That friend is called grace. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. 
I want to talk about grace, but I specifically want to talk about understanding biblical grace. You'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Beginning at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Please make a note of that. Abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness. Please make a note of that. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul continues in chapter 6, and he asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Then he answers his own question, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Can someone say amen to the reading of God's Word? Pray with me this morning. Father, we come before you today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for what we have felt in this place. We have already witnessed a great testimony of God's amazing grace. Lord, we know that as we sit here in your presence, we are all trophies of grace. We thank you. Lord, help us to understand and get a greater appreciation for what biblical grace is all about. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. It's time to eat. Someone say grace. That was rhetorical. I really didn't want you to say it. So we're gathered together, a large group of people from church. Somebody say grace. Pinkies go up. And apparently the last one to raise their pinky is the one that has to pray, like it's some punishment or something. Then we bow our heads and Someone says a prayer to bless the food we're about to eat. To some people, 
That is their definition of grace. The prayer that you pray before you eat. But grace is so much, so much more than that. By its simple but yet most powerful definition, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul writes and says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I love to talk about grace. It's probably one of the subjects that I preach and teach more about than anything else. Because you can't exhaust the subject of grace. It's impacting. It's overwhelming. It never gets old. The subject of grace never wears out and it never dries up. There are some benefits associated with grace that we all need to be reminded of. First of all, we find out that because of grace, Romans 5 tells us that we have peace with God. We ran from Him for so long, but His grace never stopped chasing after us. And one day, we stopped running. And one day, we accepted what we never could deserve. And we embraced what we never could have earned. That is the grace of God. The simple fact that we love Him because He first loved us and gave Himself for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. So because of grace we have peace with God. Not only that, but because of grace, we have a place with God. We have access, the scripture says, by faith into this grace wherein we now stand. It's one thing to know I have peace in my heart with God and that my conscience is clear before the Lord, but it's something else to know that I can come in to the presence of the King at any time, night or day, and it happens because of the grace of God. If you read in the Bible, you will understand that for the Jewish people, there was a, a very thick curtain that went, a very tall and very thick curtain that went from the top of the temple to the bottom of the temple. And it separated the Jews from coming in to the presence of God. Only the priest could go into beyond that thick veil, beyond that thick curtain. But I'm here to preach to you that on the day that Jesus gave up the ghost and said, it is finished, the scripture said, not only was there a great earthquake, but there was also a tearing of that veil that separated man from God. And now, praise the Lord, although some still do it, I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to go to confess in a box. I simply have access directly into the throne room of God. And the reason I have it is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only the Jews, but even us Gentiles. We were kept out by a wall that existed in the Jewish temple. 
And even the wall had a warning that entrance by a Gentile beyond this wall would mean death. And I'm telling you, I imagine for all the Gentiles that lived in that day, they felt like second-class citizens. But then I read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, where it tells us that Jesus is our peace, who has made both one, Gentile and Jew, together and has broken down the middle wall of partition that existed between us. And that's why today his throne is called a throne of grace. And so may we do regularly like Hebrews tells us to do and let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank God because of grace we have peace with God. Thank God because of grace we have a place with God. But quickly, let me give you just a few other benefits of God's grace. Romans 3.24 says that we are justified freely by His grace. In other words, we're in a good legal standing with our Creator, and it's because of the unmerited favor of the Lord. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, it tells us that grace provides life for us. We enjoy life life. In Him we live and we move and we have our being daily. And it's not because we've earned it. It's not because we've deserved it. But every breath that I inhale and exhale is because of the grace of God. 1 Timothy 1.14 tells us that grace gives us faith and love through Christ. Our faith is increased because of the unmerited favor of God. Our love for others and for God is increased because of the unmerited favor of God. And then grace must provide power because 2 Timothy 2 and 1 tells, uh, tells this word, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm going to give you power to overcome because you're living in my grace, in my unmerited favor. So just in those few verses alone, we find that grace gives us life. And, and faith and, and love and power. The, the list just goes on and on of what grace provides for every single one of us. And I want to say what A.W. Tozer wrote several years ago. He said, if we are not changed by grace, then we are not saved by grace. Let me say that again. If we are not changed by grace, then we are not saved by grace. So I say thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one that provided grace. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for you're the one that drew me to the grace of God. May I say to someone in the house today, no matter how much you have sinned, how many you've ripped off, no matter how many you have slept with, how many drugs you've shot up, how many uh, drinks you have guzzled, the grace of God is always greater. Like that old song says, grace, grace, God's grace.
Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sins. I've come by to share with somebody if the closet doors of everyone in the room were opened up and our skeletons came out, it would run the rest of us out of the room. But can I tell you, because of God's grace, it is under the blood. Because of God's grace, it's cast as far as the east is from the west. As far as, as, as it can be, it can never be found. Because of God's grace, our sins are cast behind his back. The scripture says it like this. Through one man's sin, name Adam, death came to many. Condemnation came. All were made sinners. But through Jesus' death on the cross, grace has come to many. Justification is offered to all. And all who accept him are made righteous in God by Christ Jesus. That, my friend, is grace. It's available to all of us. His grace superabounds man's sin. Can we just take a moment today and give a resounding praise to God for grace that is greater than all of our sins. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. But today we want to understand true biblical grace. You see, there's a tragedy of distorting grace. It is troubling to not understand grace, but it's a tragedy to distort grace. I'll say that again. It's troubling if someone doesn't understand grace and they have questions about it. But it is a tragedy if we distort grace from what God intended it to be. And I want to tell you, among the believers in the Roman church, among the believers in the church today, and among even believers in the Pulaski Church of God, there's a wrong interpretation of God's grace. Oh, y'all going to get quiet on me now, ain't you? They thought in the Roman church, well, if God's grace abounds more than our sin, then let's just sin some more. Because God's grace will always be greater. <laughs> That's the wrong mindset. It's a wrong mindset. It's a wrong perspective. To live life loose and wild, continuing to believe that grace will always cover your sins. Romans 6, chapter verse 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul asked the question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I tell you what kind of grace it is, and it's a grace that's being perpetuated throughout Christianity today. Is that all you got to do is pray a simple prayer, and then you don't have to change the way you live. You don't have to change the habits that you've been involved in. You know, you, you've, you've marked that off your bucket list. Your name's written down in heaven. So just enjoy because God's grace will always cover your sinful choices, even after you've made a confession of faith in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that kind of grace cheap grace. Let me tell you what cheap grace is. Cheap grace is grace that we bestow upon ourselves. 
Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without any church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate within us. I referenced it specifically in verse 17 and verse 21. You see in both those verses of Scripture where grace is found, you also find righteousness. You also find a correlation between the unmerited favor of God and the end result being I am going to live right before a holy God who I have pledged to serve the rest of my days. I wish somebody would say amen. I'm concerned that what is not being taught in today's Christian community and church world is that position that once we have accepted the grace of God in Christ, that, that, that we are dead to sin and sin no longer reigns in our mortal bodies, that you're not hearing that message because that is the true position of grace. And anything less than that is not true grace. It is counterfeit grace. It is fraudulent grace. It is grace that is not of God. Now I'm going to get up close and personal here and practical, okay? Let me step out on a limb because I've been in the church of God all my life. 53 years old. I know I don't look a day over 39. But I grew up in church where, quite, quite frankly, true grace was sometimes missing. It was strict holiness. Let me walk you through it. We didn't wear shorts. We didn't attend movies. We didn't go to the dance hall. You would be pressed to find anyone wearing a wedding band, much less multiple pieces of jewelry. We didn't dance. We didn't drink. We didn't chew, smoke, or take drugs. We didn't swim together, except in the immediate family. And with two sisters in my family, it didn't even happen there. The problem of that day, though, was 25 and 30 and 35 years ago, grace was missing. <laughs> Ooh, I can tell I'm deep, getting in deep waters here. If someone came in and they didn't look right, or dress right, or smell right, or have the right length hem to their skirt, we snarled our nose at them. Come on, I've lived this. I'm not talking out of something I didn't live my, myself in my own personal church experience. And some well-meaning saints have turned unbelievers away because grace was missing. Now, friend, that's not distorted grace. That's no grace at all. Now the times, though, have shifted so dramatically. Not only is grace a big part of our message, but it's been distorted and altered dramatically. Just get them in the door, no matter what it takes. Now, I've been pastoring this month. I, I begin my 27th year. So 26 years of pastoring, 
I've seen some of it. I've heard some of it. It's amazing what churches, the, the length that churches will go to to get the crowds in the door. Oh, Lord, help me here. I'm going to do this, Holy Ghost, so help me. I've known churches where they ride Harleys through the sanctuary or provide kegs with root beer so everybody's good and comfortable before worship starts. I've, I've known churches where one particular church comes to mind, and I know this for a fact, that they, they played a little queen before service. Can you imagine somebody playing a little, another one bites the dust before you worship Jesus? We got to make everybody feel comfortable. <laughs> now we're seeing in our day music ministers that stand on the stage on a Sunday morning leading people into the presence of Jesus or at least hoping to and then moonlighting at a club throughout the week to use their talent and make money on the side. I'm telling you right now, there is no way that world and God can be put together. Not when the Lord called us to come out from the world and be a separate people. Grace has been distorted. Grace has been cheapened, and people are, are they're coming to these environments, and there's no true transformation taking place. We've gone from no grace to anything goes in the name of grace, and convictions that used to stand for something has been thrown out the window to make everyone comfortable. Can I just talk about a couple of examples? I'm going to anyway. You see, this is the revelation that the Lord gave to me this week. And I think this is where we missed it years ago. We just had some hardline rules and regulations, and we never told people why. And so here, here, here it is. It's not just about what you do. It's the reason why you do it. The motivation, motivation, the purity of the heart or impurity of the heart. And you cannot say you are a New Testament Christian and then leave the portion of the New Testament out that doesn't fit with your styles and beliefs. So I'm, I'm going to give you an example here, okay? I'm going to pick on one. Let's talk about jewelry for a moment. Years ago, we taught against wearing jewelry. But we never really explained why we stood against it. And did you know that we based our teaching not from the Old Testament, but from the New Testament? Now, before anybody gets all defensive on me, my wife wears an occasional necklace or ring. She does. I'll admit that right up front. But the motivation is to feel good about her appearance and presentation, not to bring undue attention to herself. <laughs> this is New Testament stuff. We're a New Testament church. But when's the last time you heard anyone preach from 1 Timothy 2 and 9 and 10, where Paul told Timothy... That women should adorn themselves with proper clothing and modestly and discreetly 
in those verses, it's not near as much about the gold or the pearls or the costly garments as it is that people see your works as a claim to godliness. (laughs) So here's the question in whatever you do. Is it about people seeing you? Or is it about people seeing the Jesus inside of you? Now, don't miss the point. Listen to this preacher this morning. It's one thing to wear a piece of jewelry or some cosmetics to feel good about yourself. But it's something totally different to don so much of anything that people notice you instead of the character of Christ that's inside of you. How can can someone see the Jesus inside of you when most of your clothes are missing? And you're causing people to stumble over you instead of seeing the Jesus inside of you. That's good preaching, Pastor. Maza, 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 somebody going to wear me out at lunch today. Just this morning as I was as I was praying, the Lord brought another example to me. Alcohol. Because it's very common today for Christians to social drink. Now, this is me, but I believe cheap grace says have a drink. But I believe biblical grace leads you away from it completely. Yes, Jesus' first miracle was water turned to wine. Yes, Paul told Timothy, you got a few stomach problems. Every once in a while, maybe you need to drink a little wine to help you with your stomach issues. Yes, it is written, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. No, there is not a verse that says, thou shalt not drink. So we get close to the line for that that can alter our senses. And the truth of the matter is, though you may think you're strong, how many millions of people started out that way and one drink was not enough? And so the question is, why do we do what we do? Maybe one reason why this is so personal to me this week it's because I read of a country music star that took her own life on a highway and she was intoxicated. She made that choice. But coming in the other direction was a 16-year-old kid that did not make that choice and lost her life due to the choices of someone else. And if that tragedy wasn't enough, it was her the 16-year-old's father that was the medic that responded to the accident. Mm. At some point with that young country music star, it started with one drink. Wow, preacher. I'm still preaching 
understanding biblical grace. Because if you understand biblical grace, you do appreciate that it is the unmerited favor of God. But you also understand that in those verses right next to grace is the word called righteousness or right living. And you can't sacrifice righteousness and still call it biblical grace. If you sacrifice righteousness out of the equation, you have cheapened grace. And cheap grace, you'd be better off having no grace at all. i got to drive this point home. Here's what's happening today. There are too many believers, professing believers, that think that God's grace has freed them to sin. But that's not it at all. God's grace has not freed you to sin. God's grace has freed you from sin. Freedom, freedom is in living right. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live the way I want to. You're the one in bondage. You're the one in shackles. You're the one in chains. You're the one that needs Jesus because he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. <laughs> Consider this. A drunk man dies. He can no longer be tempted by alcohol because his body is dead to all physical senses. He cannot see alcohol, taste it, smell it, desire it. If we are in Christ, we have died to sin. That means we no longer want to continue in sin. I sat down with a youth leader several years ago. Good guy. Never touched wine or alcohol throughout the whole year until one time at Thanksgiving. And for years, it had been his tradition to have a glass of wine with his family at Thanksgiving. He said to me, you can't tell me that it's not wrong in Scripture. I said, you're right. But I'm asking you to give it up because you influence young people. Well, that glass of wine don't hurt me. Well, live it that way in front of your daughter or son and watch them turn out to be an alcoholic because of your passive disposition concerning alcohol. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help you understand what true biblical grace is. It is the unmerited favor of God. But it also means a transformation on the inside. It means I give up some of those things. I give up a lot of those things. I give up all of those things that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God deal with me about. If we're not changed by grace, then we're not saved by grace. 
I do believe a person can have an encounter with God. They can live for the Lord and walk away from the Lord by their own willful choices. But I do know that a lot of people that come to ask Jesus to come into their heart, they really don't bring forth any godly sorrow. They're kind of like the little boy that got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Because when they get up from the altar, even after being emotional, and they walk away, they're still bound by their trespasses and sins because they never really gave up anything to Jesus. you got to give it all up to Jesus. When you come to the Lord, you give it all up to Jesus. Somebody say amen. Do you want peace? Then you must, A, accept His free gift of grace, and B, be willing to forsake a lifestyle of sin. Because when you accept biblical grace, along with it comes a change in your life. The story is told of a robber who had been sentenced to die for his crime. The robber made a deal with the jailer hoping that he would escape punishment. And this was the plan. The robber was going to pretend to die. The jailer would then have him buried, but later he would come back and dig him up, and the stolen money would be split between them. All went as planned. The soldiers came and placed the body of the robber. As he faked being dead, they placed the body of the robber in the casket. And as the habit was... To conserve work and money, they buried his body with another corpse. The robbers lay in there thinking, with what ease I have pulled this off as he laid beneath the soil. But then curiosity got the best of him while he waited. And so he just kind of looked over to his side and pulled back the shroud. And to his horror, he discovered that his coffin mate was the jailer who was supposed to dig him up. He had crawled into the casket with one who failed him. And I ask you today, what are you trusting? What are you climbing up in the bed with? What are you climbing up in the casket with? Is it money? Is it beauty? Is it an unhealthy relationship? Is it image? Is it religion? Is it good works? The only real answer is to accept and live in the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. It's sad when I meet people that say they're a believer, but they're lifestyle is quite the contrary. Maybe they did pray a prayer of salvation. But did they accept a fraudulent grace that led to no transformation in their life? Would you bow your heads? 
would you close your eyes? If you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus to come into your heart, today can be the day you could confess your sins to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and believe that what he did on the cross was for you and you would be saved you'd be set free your name would be written in the lamb's book of life grace would be extended to you and there would be such a transformation you wouldn't be perfect but there would be a change because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You understand biblical grace and you understand that the unmerited favor of God draws you to come to Him and then you believe that when you come to Him that there's going to be a radical change that's going to take place and you're going to come down as a a sinner blackened with sin, but you're going to get up from the altar and you're going to be washed in the blood of Jesus and your garments are going to be made white and you're going to be made whole. going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you need to come and pray, I'm going to ask you to get up from where you are, and I'm going to meet you down here. God's grace is here. It's running deep. It's running rich. Grace, please be respectful to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. God's dealing with hearts. if there's any believers in the house that would say I'm thankful for God's grace and you just stand to your feet and throw your hands up in the air and sing it this morning sisters to come and pray with Diane this morning. Praise. Come on, keep singing. Come on, worship him, church. 
You're only here because of the grace of God. You can only stand because of the grace of God. You wouldn't be able to lift your hands to the Lord if it wasn't for His grace. They Given to you, the greatest blessing ever bestowed upon you. 